Wildwood Community Church exists to shine as light in our homes, in our community, and in our world. To contact us or for more information, see our website at wildwoodchurch.org. Turn in your Bibles to the Gospel of Luke and chapter number 12. Luke chapter number 12. If you don't have a Bible, there should be one under a chair in front of you, and you could take that Bible and turn to page 57 in the back, and you would be at Luke 12. I want to begin this morning by telling you a story that comes from the early history of Oklahoma. It's a story about two friends whose names were John and Billy. And those were the rough and tumble days in Oklahoma. And John and Billy got on a train to take a journey across the state. And suddenly they noticed the train stopped. And they were able to look ahead and they saw that there were masked bandits getting ready to come on the train to rob those on the train. And John suddenly looked over at Billy and he said, we're going to lose all our money now. Billy said, do you really think we're going to lose everything? John said to him, listen, these guys who rob these trains, they never miss a dime. And then Billy said to him again, now, are you sure that we're going to lose all of our money and John said, yep. And with that response, Billy reached into his pocket, pulled out a $50 bill, and handed it to John. And John says, what's this for? And Billy says, that's the $50 that I owe you. We are now even. You know, money is a very interesting thing. It's a very funny subject. And there's all kinds of thoughts out there on money. I came across some sayings on money. Here's one of them. Borrow money from a pessimist. He doesn't expect to get the money back. And then Ken Hubbard said this, the safest way to double your money is to fold it over once and put it back in your pocket. That's a good thought. And then Jackie Mason said this, so many people spend their health gaining wealth and then spend their wealth to regain their health. You know, if we were going to do a man-on-the-street interview in Norman, Oklahoma, maybe go down to the college campus, and we would ask the question, where should a person turn to learn on how to handle their finances, on how to make investments? I'm sure we would get a variety of answers. Some of them might say, well, you should subscribe to the Wall Street Journal, or maybe they would say, you need to get Money Magazine. If they're younger, they might say, well, let's just Google it and find out what articles would come up. Some of them might say, you need to hire an investment counselor. But I am confident that very few people would say the greatest investment counselor there ever has been is God himself. And that is who we want to consult with as we look at the counsel of the Word of God. We've been involved in a series of messages we have entitled God's Upside-Down Kingdom. And we've been pointing out that the Bible describes our culture as being out of whack, as being bent and twisted. And we think of God's kingdom being upside-down, but really the truth is that God's kingdom is right-side-up and the culture is upside-down. And we did a message that we had entitled God's Elevator, where the Bible says that up is really down, and down is really up. We did a message entitled Finding by Losing, 
where we looked at Jesus' words where he said, whoever wishes to save his life will lose it. I mean, whoever loses his life for my sake finds it. Then the last time we were together, I was with you, we had a message called Divine Reversal, where Jesus says, the first shall be last, and the last shall be first. Today, we want to talk about, in God's upside-down kingdom, heavenly banking. And the idea of heavenly banking is this, keep and you will lose, give and you will gain. See, the world in which we live, and I know you're not going to argue with me on this, promotes having and hoarding. God has an upside-down view to that. God promotes giving and sharing. So we're actually going to talk some about money today, and money is a very touchy area. You know, it's an area, as some people said, where preachers fear to tread. And part of that is that the most sensitive nerve in the human body is the nerve that leads to our wallet or leads to our bank statement. But I find Jesus to be very different from that, fascinatingly so. You know that Jesus taught 38 parables, 16 of them relate to money and possessions. Someone has calculated that one in ten verses in the four Gospels relates to money and possessions. Someone has calculated that there are 500 verses in the Bible that deal with faith, 500 verses in the Bible that deal with prayer. If you combine those and double them, you have how many verses in the Bible address money and possessions? Some 2,000 verses. You know, there's more in the Bible about money and possessions than there is about heaven or hell. Now, why is that? I mean, let's just freeze frame it for a moment. Ever stop and ask yourself that question? Why is that true? Now, one thing we know is that God is not some huckster who's just out for our cash. There's no way. Why is it there's more verses on this than any other subject matter? And I think part of the answer is that money represents us. Money represents our time. It represents our toil. What we do with our money tells what we hold dear. It's an insight into our heart. Richard Halverson, who was the U.S. Senate chaplain for 13 years, said this, Jesus Christ said more about money than any other single thing. Because when it comes to a man's real nature, money is of first importance. He says this, money is an exact index to a man's true character. All through Scripture, there's an intimate correlation between the development of a man's character and how he handles his money. It's an interesting thought. It's an exact index to a person's true character. And what I want to do this morning is I want us all to be transparent before God. I really want us to do that. And I know that may be hard for some of us to get there, but we need to get there. We need to ask ourselves the question, how are we operating in our financial realm? Whatever our age situation is, you know, you may be not yet a teenager. You may be way past being a teenager. Whatever your age situation is, we can be transparent before God. 
we can ask ourselves, what is the, the basic approach that we're taking to money? Are we just spending money or are we investing money? Are we doing things the world's way or are we doing things with an eye on eternity? You see, God says, keep and you will lose. Give and you will gain. If you have your Bibles open to Luke chapter 12, I'd like to read beginning with verse 13 and read down through verse 21, invite you to follow along as I'm reading. Verse 13, someone in the crowd said to Jesus, teacher, tell my brother to divide the family inheritance with me. Jesus said to him, man, who appointed me a judge or arbiter over you? And then he said to them, beware and be on your guard against every form of greed. For not even when one has an abundance does his life consist of his possessions. And he told them a parable saying, the land of a rich man was very productive. And he began reasoning to himself, thinking to himself, saying, what shall I do since there's no place to store my crops? Then he said, this is what I'll do. I will tear down my barns and build larger ones, and there I will store all my grain and my goods. And I will say to my soul, soul, you have many goods laid up for many years to come. Take your ease, eat, drink, and be merry. But God said to him, you fool, this very night your soul is required of you, and now who will own what you have prepared? So is the man who stores up treasure for himself and is not rich toward God. Now, here's the plan we're going to have in the next few moments together. We're really going to look at two different things. Number one, we're going to look at the deficiency of money and possessions. There is a deficiency to money and possessions. And then secondly, we're going to look at the definitive financial counsel of God. So let's, let's get after this. Let's look at the deficiency of money and possessions and then the definitive financial counsel of God. The deficiency of money and possessions. Number one, money and possessions are precarious. They are precarious. You know, Jesus talked about this some in Matthew chapter 6 and verse 19. He talked about earthly treasures, building up earthly treasures. And he says these earthly treasures can be eaten by moths and they can get rusty. And thieves can break in and steal. In other words, translation, the trouble with money and possessions is they can come and they can go. And we hear all kinds of stories of that happening all around us. You know, people have a flood. People experience a hurricane. People experience a tornado. And they have all this stuff and these possessions and this money, and sometimes it completely wipes them out. It can come and it can go. And a few years back, um, and those in the financial realm coined a new thing called SWS. It was called Sudden Wealth Syndrome. Particularly in the dot-com explosion, people were dealing with SWS, Sudden Wealth Syndrome. Suddenly, they were just this incredibly wealthy people. And then you know what eventually happened. Then they had to come up with another one called SLOW, S-L-O-W, which is Sudden Loss of Wealth Syndrome as people lost wealth, and some of them so much so that they even committed suicide. You know, we know this idea that, that money and possessions can come and go. I mean, I don't know how old you are, but maybe you have a 401k uh, or have an IRA like I have. I'm telling you, that thing's never been the same, never even come close. 
Some people have lost their homes. Some people have lost their jobs. See, money and possession, it can come and it can go. We had a, a member of our extended family and um, had a very, very large house, decided not to insure the house. There was a fire, and there was a very, very large loss that came from that. Same family member took every bit of his life savings that he had and invested it in the stock market just before the big stock market crash and lost everything, thinking they're going to have all these resources all the way to the end of their life. But you see, money will tend to come and go. It's precarious. And you know what's interesting as you think about this? This is a very important election we're getting ready to have because we have as a nation, we are facing the specter of national bankruptcy. That is a possibility. And so we need to be careful about choosing the right leader that we think can handle that most efficiently. But that's just the way money and possessions are. They are precarious. Secondly, I want you to see regarding the deficiency of money and possessions, they are temporary. They're temporary. 1 Timothy chapter 6, verse 7 says, We brought nothing into the world, and we're going to take nothing out of it. You came in with zero. You are leaving this world with zero. This is not only a New Testament concept, it's an Old Testament concept. In Ecclesiastes 5.15, the same idea. We came naked from our mother's womb, and when we leave, there'll be nothing that we carry in our hand. You can have stuff in your hands, but you're not carrying it when you leave this world. Ecclesiastes 2.18 says what's going to happen is we're going to leave it to one who follows us. You see, it's a temporary thing. You can keep your finger if you want in Luke 12 and turn with me uh, to, to the left in their Bible to Matthew chapter 6. We made an allusion to this uh, passage earlier. Matthew chapter 6, verses 19 to 20, where Jesus is talking and he says, Do not store up for yourselves treasures on earth where moth and rust destroy. This is verse 19, where thieves break in and steal. But store up for yourselves treasures in heaven where neither moth nor rust destroys and where thieves do not break in and steal. You see, he's he's saying that because things are temporary here, they are a really poor investment compared to eternal treasure. Now, here's what I think happens to us. I know what happens to me. We tend to drift into this fog. We tend to live our life, I'm talking about a Monday through Saturday kind of life, as if there were no eternity. We tend to get in this fog and we lose sight of the fact that we need to utilize our resources now so that it has eternal ramifications for us on the other side of life. I love Randy Alcorn's illustration of this. He says, imagine for a moment you are alive at the very end of the Civil War. You are living in the South, but your home is really in the North. While in the South, you have accumulated a good amount of Confederate currency. He says, suppose you also know for a fact that the North is going to win the war and that the end could come at any time. 
what will you do with your Confederate money? And he goes on to say, if you were smart, there's really only one answer to that question. You would cash in your Confederate currency for U.S. currency, the only money that will have value once the war is over. He says you would keep only enough Confederate currency to meet your needs. I mean, we need to provide for our family. We need to have some for a rainy day. But you would just do that to meet your needs until the war was over, and money could be money would then become the Confederate money worthless. And here's what he says. He says, the believer, this is kind of interesting to think about, has an insider knowledge. We have an insider knowledge of an eventual change in the worldwide social and economic situation. The currency of this world, the money, possessions, fashions, and whims will be worthless at our death or at Christ's return. And he says, both of those are imminent. Now, just ponder that for a moment. Think about Whatever resources you've got, eventually worthless. He says, this knowledge should radically affect our investment strategy. For us to accumulate vast earthly treasures in the face of the inevitable future is equivalent to stockpiling Confederate money despite our awareness of its eventual worthlessness. There's a deficiency to money and possessions. They are precarious, they are temporary. And number three, the one perhaps we believe the least, they don't truly satisfy. They don't truly satisfy. You know, Solomon wrote in Ecclesiastes 5.10, and I remind you, he's the richest person who ever lived on this planet. And he said, whoever loves money never has money enough. Whoever loves wealth is never satisfied with his income. You know, money and possessions are a lot like drugs. They're a lot like meth. They're a lot like crack. They're a lot like cocaine. You get some, but then you need more to keep the high going. You know how our mindset is. If I could just get a raise then, man, I would just be completely satisfied. If, if I could just buy a house, then I would just be completely satisfied when it comes to money and possessions. If I could just get a newer car, you know, then I would be just satisfied. If I could just buy an iPad, I would never want anything else again. I would just be satisfied. And we're just like drug addicts. And the reason why is that money and possessions don't truly satisfy. And that's because lasting happiness and joy doesn't come from money and things. It comes in having a relationship, a vital relationship with the God of the universe. So I just want us to see, as we look at God's upside-down kingdom and heavenly banking, that there is a deficiency to money and possessions. The second thing we want to look at this morning, though, the definitive financial counsel of God. The definitive financial counsel of God. The first part of that is, he says, keep and you'll lose. Keep and you'll lose. Go back to Luke chapter 12. And, and you, you notice that this is a parable that he tells in verse 16 of a rich 
man. This was a rich guy. But here's what I want you to see was going on with this rich guy. His focus was on satisfying himself. Look at verse 17. He began to reason to himself, what shall I do since I have no place to store my crops? And then he said, this I will do. I will tear down my barns and build larger ones, and there I will store all my grain and goods. And I will say to my soul, you have many goods laid up for many years to come. See, this guy was focused on having and hoarding rather than giving and sharing. Do you see that in there? He is focused on indulging himself rather than on investing. And and Jesus has an assessment of that in verses 20 and 21. Jesus says to him, you are a fool. You're a fool. This very night your soul is required of you, and now who's going to own all this stuff? And he goes on to say, this is the bottom line, so is the man who stores up treasure for himself and is not rich toward God. That's the eternal investment perspective. See, he he, he missed the whole thing. This is a temporary deal. He could have been focused on investing and obtaining eternal riches, but he didn't. See, God says, keep and you'll lose. But then the flip side of it, he says, give and you'll gain give and you'll gain. I'll give you some verses here from the book of Proverbs. Proverbs chapter 11, verse 24. There is one who gives freely. He's freely giving. He's freely investing, and yet he gains even more. Isn't that interesting? The next verse says this, a generous man will prosper. He who refreshes others will himself be refreshed. Give and you'll gain. Now, when we make that statement, you might think, what does that really mean, Bruce? I'm not sure I'm following exactly. What do you mean, give and you'll gain? So what I want to do is I want to zoom in on this idea of gaining. What will we gain? What will we be enriched with? Well, the first thing we gain, number one, is personal satisfaction. Personal satisfaction. Jesus said, Acts chapter 20, verse 35, It is more blessed to give than to receive. Perhaps the most unbelieved verse in the New Testament. But especially if you're a parent, you understand what Jesus was talking about. Because you're you're giving to your kids so much, and you realize it's more blessed to give than to receive. Someone said this, selfishness shrivels the soul. So one thing that we gain is personal satisfaction. Another thing that we gain is eternal riches. What did Jesus say in Matthew 6? Lay up treasures in heaven. It's fascinating to me that Jesus is not down on accumulating treasure. Did you notice that? He doesn't say, ah, forget the treasure thing. Don't be into treasure. He says just don't accumulate treasure in the wrong place. Don't pile it up. Go after treasure, lay up treasure, but it ought to be in the wisest place of all. 
So what we, what we gain, give and you'll gain, we gain personal satisfaction, we gain eternal riches. The third thing we gain is additional resources for giving. This one always has fascinated me. In 2 Corinthians chapters 8 and 9, there's a whole section there on how we handle our money. And, and part of what it says there, if you, this is a, in, a, in a farming analogy, if you sow sparingly, you give sparingly, you will reap eternal treasure sparingly. If you sow bountifully, you will reap bountifully. If you want the personal satisfaction, if you want the eternal riches, then you sow bountifully, and then you will reap bountifully. In 2 Corinthians 9.10, it says this. This has always been an interesting verse to me. It says, now he, speaking of God, who supplies seed to the sower, this is all in a financial environment here, and bread for food will supply and multiply your seed. And then you'll notice these two words that are so critical, for sowing and increase the harvest of your righteousness. He's talking about the more that we give, when we give, God will actually multiply the seed as a picture of our money that we're giving, and He'll give back more, but it's not for hoarding, it's for sowing. The more we give, He wants to give us more resources so that we can give more. You see, that is the definitive counsel of God. Keep and you'll lose. Give and you will gain. You will gain personal satisfaction. You will gain eternal riches. You will gain additional resources for giving. Now, you might want to stop for a moment and say, wait a minute now. Are we saying that that the Bible and Jesus and God and you, Bruce, are saying it's wrong to enjoy blessings? It's wrong to enjoy some of your finances? It's wrong to enjoy your possessions? Are we supposed to live like a pauper? That's not what the Bible says. In 1 Timothy 6.17, it says that God richly supplies us with all things to enjoy. The New Living Translation there says God gives us all we need for our enjoyment. It's okay to enjoy. Nothing wrong with enjoying, but here's the key. We need to remember while we are enjoying some of this that we have to be wise. We have to operate in our life as if money and possessions are precarious and temporary and they won't truly satisfy. We need to remember to heed His counsel. Keep and you will lose because eventually it's all worthless. Give and you will gain. You know, Jesus said this, where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. And this is going to be true of my life and your life, because if, if we had somebody who went through them all, see, if, if you show me your bank statement, if I show you my credit card statement, it is going to tell what we value. And our heart can never truly be in the kingdom of God if our money is not there. It can never, our heart will never truly be in the kingdom of God. People say, well, I don't know, I'm not real excited about spiritual things, but whatever. Hey, well, part of the problem is your money's not there. Are we merely spending? This is a question I'm I'm wrestling with myself. 
been under some conviction as I've been thinking my way through this myself. Are we merely spending or are we investing? Are we investing? Now, I want you to notice, just by way of uh, some life response, I have had tucked into your bulletin a little green sheet of paper there called Personal Financial Audit. And I don't care how old you are, how young you may be, I would suggest that you go through this. And you'll see there, this is just a compilation of a lot of biblical verses and information there. But the first principle of biblical investment is to invest systematically. That means it should be planned. 2 Corinthians 9, 7 says, each one should give as he is purposed in his heart, which means to determine beforehand. It doesn't mean you just reach in your pocket, I don't know, what do I have in here? You know, I'm planning this. It means if we're going to invest systematically that it should be regular, not erratic. In 1 Corinthians 16, 2, uh, Paul says you should give on the first day of every week. The idea is it's to be a regular thing. It's an expression of our worship as we gather to worship every week. We should give of our first fruits, not of the leftovers, Proverbs 3, 9. Uh, giving first rather than from the end of the month leftovers because if you give from the end of the month leftovers, guess what? So there's usually nothing left over, right? Second principle is to invest proportionally. 1 Corinthians 16.2 says we should give as we may prosper. And we have some other verses there, 2 Corinthians 8.12, Acts 11.29, Deuteronomy 16.17. Two thoughts involved there. Uh, first, it's an encouraging thought to me. Uh, because that story from Mark 12, verses 41 to 44, can be comforting and reassuring because, see, some of us don't have anything. Some of us, and I, and I was there at certain phases of my life, I had nothing. And you don't have to have large sums to be a big giver in God's eyes. That's what that tells us there. So it is an encouragement that we invest proportionally, but it's also a challenge because as the Lord blesses us and prospers us and our income increases, we should invest a greater percentage. And then it says, number three, invest sacrificially. God is not concerned really with the amount that we give. Did you ever, did you ever think about that? He's concerned with how we give. And again, we have that illustration from Mark 12, verses 41 to 44. It's not the amount, it's what it represents to the one who is giving. And then a second illustration, 2 Corinthians 8, verses 1 to 4. If a person makes $100,000 and they give 10%, they're living off of 90. It's not a lot of sacrifice. If you make $20,000 and you give 10%, now you're living off of $18,000 and you're going to feel that a little bit. Sacrificial giving means it costs us something. Our lifestyle should be affected in some way. And we have a statement from David in 2 Samuel 24, 24, the fourth principle of biblical investments is that we invest generously, not sparingly. And then we have those passages from 2 Corinthians 9, verse 6, verse 8, verses 10 to 11, 1 Timothy chapter 6, verses 18 to 19. You can go and look at that. The analogy is, is if a farmer plants only one acre of wheat, he can only harvest one acre. If he wants a greater harvest, he must sow more seed. Now, we notice we say there, this is not the concept of prosperity giving, Give and God will make you rich. It's not a way to manipulate God. It's not some kind of spiritual extortion. I'm going to give you this much because I expect you to give me this much back. The point is that we give generously 
and there are benefits now in the future. We point out some of them. We've talked about them now. There's a benefit of spiritual blessing, Acts 20, 35, material blessing. God promises to meet our needs, Philippians 4, 18 and 19, Matthew 6, 33. He may bless us material, materially, not so much to increase our standard of living, but our standard of giving. And we have some passages there again, 2 Corinthians 9, verses 10 and 11. And then, of course, there's future benefits, reward. Uh, as we give, we're in an essence investing with God and reaping eternal benefits. And we have 1 Timothy 6, 18 and 19, Matthew 6, 19 and 20. Now, I've given you the data. The life response is for you to think your way through and pray your way through this. And some of this may be stuff. I've seen this before. I'm not asking whether you've ever seen this before. I'm basically saying, let's prayerfully go before God. And you see those four principles as you look at your own life? I would like to suggest that you write yes or no beside each one of those four. Am I investing systematically? Yes or no. I, am I investing proportionally? Yes or no. Am I investing sacrificially? Yes or no. Am I investing generously? Yes or no. We want to be practical about all of this. I heard about an old gravestone that said this, what I spent, I had. What I saved, I lost. What I gave, I have. See, that's the way God's upside-down kingdom works. Let's pray together. Father, we thank you so much again for your word, and we know we could just feel the current of our culture that pushes us in a different direction and can turn us upside down. We just thank you for your word that brings us right side up. And we would pray as men and women that we will wrestle through these principles before you, being transparent. It's just going to be me and God. And allow the Holy Spirit to speak to us. And Lord, we acknowledge, we, we need to acknowledge this, that you can't have an investment count, account with God. You can't make desires, or rather deposits, in the bank of heaven without first opening an account. We know that all of this begins by seeing Christ for who He is, for what He did, dying for us, and offering us forgiveness, and seeking to believe and trust in Him. And when we make that personal choice, we open an account in the bank of heaven. May we be wise about the fact that the war is going to end and these resources will be valueless. May we be wise as a serpent as we make investments in the kingdom of God for the benefits that we bring now to ourselves and even in eternity. We do all this for the glory of the person of Jesus Christ. And we pray these things in His name.